Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peyton Guthrie, joined by Brady and Alan. Matt is having to cover the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's so sad he has to watch some. I know actually they're probably a great team. Not probably. They do seem to be doing pretty good. Uh, but we're going to talk about the uh, the two uh, semifinal games, the playoffs, the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl, and then talk about how Oklahoma can try to get into one of those spots pretty soon. But before we jump into all of that, Brady, you're just over the stove, over the grill. How you doing, man? Smoky, smoky. We're good though. We had steak and uh, veggies and some rice, and we're good to go. It's um, I mean, I guess college football is still going on, so it's not really the football off season, but we're just damn near close to it. It was a great day for college football yesterday, and it was so great. I didn't even want to go to sleep last night, so um, I'm, I'm clinging on to the last bits of college football that we have. So everything's going pretty well well you're probably the i, I will i don't know i don't want to speak for alan immediately so you're probably the young the young one because uh i went to sleep and uh woke up to the good news that texas had lost uh, <laughs> but uh alan how you doing man oh man doing well you know happy new year to everybody yeah, uh so nice. brady what kind of what, we're talking steak here what kind of cut what, what, what are we doing here on the grill new york strips um ah, just okay. yeah i mean it's it's nothing fancy i've um i mean i've got a traeger grill and uh, I'm not like Joe Roganing the thing at all. I, I can turn mm. it on. I could make the meat edible where you don't get sick. And it just, it goes from A to B in that point. Just, it's good. I like it. Huh? Very nice. Very nice. I'm not putting it on it. I'm not putting it on Twitter because meat, meat, Twitter, meat, Reddit will fucking eviscerate me probably because I didn't do something right. Yeah. I, I, I look out and all that. Uh, my fiance has the alpha gal uh, thing. Uh, she got bit by a tick and now can no longer eat red meat. It makes her sick, uh, which means I'm just eating chicken breast and chicken thighs that I toss into a black stone. So uh, <laughs> yeah. that's super, super easy uh, over here. Well, when did that happen? When did that happen in her life? Like, ha- has she known the pleasures of red meat? Yes. Yeah. It oh, that sucks. Uh, she was still out east before she came to Oklahoma. And she's like, I just love eating hamburger. Like some, she'll sometimes go and get a hamburger and deal with being sick every once in a while because I just miss <laughs> yeah. the taste of it. Well, she um, can just watch you eat it. I yeah, mean, true. I mean, there are some pay services for stuff like that, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> uh, apparently, the Impossible Whoppers, uh, a, a decent uh, selection of those types of uh, food options. Uh, but let's get into it. We'll, we'll go in a uh, chronological order. 
the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. Uh, and that's also a WrestleMania term. Out there in Pasadena, uh, on the uh, Golden Coast of California, we saw the Michigan Wolverines take on the Crimson Tide. Uh, basically, the, the cool part of the playoffs this year to me is that you saw two teams, we I mean, saw two good games. So that's a major plus. <laughs> but you also saw two games that were stylistically different and two teams who were willing to play each other's style to where it felt like a really solid heavyweight. Both of them felt like heavyweight matches for different reasons. And I thought that was really interesting. It wasn't like, you know, it, it, I don't know if Texas had played Michigan, it would have felt weird. You know, it's like Alabama and Michigan both decided they're going to punch each other in the face. <laughs> Washington and Texas both decided they're going to play more modern style football. Uh, but we did see the Wolverines overcome, um, trying to desperately give this game away. They overcame that long enough for Alabama to give it away uh, and then give a chance to go to the national championship. Um, basically cementing the idea that every football team and college football should be cheating uh, as much as humanly possible. <laughs> uh, but Alan, what, what are your overall, just maybe just like beginner thoughts on the Rose Bowl and uh, I don't know, Saban goes down three years in a row. I mean, that's a shock and horror. Yeah. I thought that, uh, you know, based on what we saw, I did not think it was a particularly well-played game uh, based on what, you know, what they put out there. I thought it was well-coached. I thought that there were a lot of good adjustments on, on every side and both teams really came in with like, I felt like solid game plans. You know, it could make me make the argument that uh, they should have maybe had a plan for Milrow to uh, throw the vertical a little bit more often. But again, I, I'd need to look at what kind of what Michigan was doing in coverage. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of, you know, it, I mean, watching this game late in the fourth quarter when it looked like Alabama was going to win, you know, my, my thought was, God, like, you know, it, it was very, it was a very common occurrence for OU fans to be like special teams, you know, this year just killed us. And that's what it felt like was happening with Michigan. Um, but Alabama was insistent on, um, you know, committing even, you know, uh, an equal number of gaffes, you know, uh, particularly, I mean, the inability to snap the football was just mind boggling um, and clearly impacted anything that uh, Alabama could do in this game. So uh, on offense and, you know, Jalen Milrow had a pretty costly fumble there where I, I kept wondering, like, did he have a different set of cleats or something he could have put on? Cause he was slipping and sliding all over the field. Um you know, at the end of the day, though, this was not a particularly vintage Alabama squad. Um, and, you know, I, it just it just didn't have the same. It wasn't as well-rounded as uh, what you've come to expect from the Tide recently. And, you know, at the end of the day, Michigan was just too tough. Yeah, that's something that really, really uh, shocked and surprised me. Now, I know there's been some talk, and myself included, saying, hey, this – it's a chance in Michigan's year because the field fell down so far. But I've seen I've uh, someone, I cannot remember who it was, and I apologize, this person tweeted out the uh, power ratings of every national champion since 2007. And um, Michigan is like better than 10 of them. So it's, it, it's not like they're a horrible number one overall rated team of this year. They're still within that midpoint. They're obviously just not up to the snuff that we had maybe three or four years prior where it was LSU over the top, Alabama over the top, so uh, Clemson, so on and so forth, where there's so much better than everybody else. Uh, but the thing that really blew my mind, it's something we'll talk a little bit later about when we're talking about Oklahoma and where, how it can be in one of these spots. Um, I did not expect to see Michigan um, 
just beat the shit up Alabama on the offensive line and defensive line. That's not something I uh, thought was going to happen. Um, and they kind of bullied them around for a pretty good example. And I believe Alabama had one tackle for loss uh, for the entire mm-hmm. game. Uh, Michigan having six sacks and uh, 10 tackles for loss. I mean, they they really controlled the uh, the line of scrimmage. Milrow being able to break containment really kept them in that game. Yeah, the the story of that game was Michigan's defensive line. I mean, aside from all the mistakes on both sides, but uh, I was, I mean, they really didn't have to blitz that often to get pressure. Uh, they were really able to control uh, the point of attack there on defense, which I, I, I didn't, I, I knew how good Michigan's defensive line was. I didn't realize they would be that dominant in this game. Yeah, that's something that really surprised me because I know. Uh... I, I teased, I retweeted them after the game because I'm petty. Uh, Josh McQuistian had talked, to, had tweeted a uh, Bama by 20 after uh, Michigan almost threw a pick in the first <laughs> first uh, first play of the game, and then Michigan makes uh, Alabama have negative 12 yards in their first position. So it's like, well, maybe both of these defenses are kind of ready, but um, I don't know. At Brady, this is, in my opinion, probably the ultimate helmet school matchup, Michigan Alabama. Just looking at the helmets from that perspective, uh, you you kind of talked about. The, you know the lack of luster when it came to Oklahoma, Arizona. Did this Rose Bowl? Did it did it scratch that college football ethos for you? Michigan, Alabama in the Rose Bowl is like the the winningest team of all time. Alabama, I mean, sorry, Michigan, the most national championships in Alabama in the most prestigious uh, uh, stadium or venue in college football history. Yeah, I mean, it had all the trappings of college football when you think about the sport at its zenith. You know, you think of. Notre Dame, you think of Michigan, you think of Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, like all these pro these big time programs at their prime in their primes going up against each other with, you know, 50,000 fans on one side rooting for one team, 50,000 for the other, um, all the colors. I mean, everything about it was great. And um, I mean, Alan kind of hit it. it. It wasn't necessarily a very well played game. Uh, I mean, both teams are they have some pretty glaring flaws that they're able to mask with their um, their incredible talent, with some really good coaching, and with some individual play from some elite players that can kind of just kind of overshadow the fact that, um, I mean, bless his heart, Jalen Mil- Milrow can't really run an offense um, when he when you are going up against a team that can punch back like uh, like a Michigan can. Um, you're able to get through with that in conference when you can just out athlete people, um, both sides of the football, but. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was just, it was, it was weird to watch a game where, you know, like Michigan, Alabama, they're, they're a, they're a step or two, probably two steps ahead of OU right now. But, but, but by God, I watched that Rose Bowl and thought, man, I, I feel like I'm watching OU because we've got, um, we've got a punt returner just saying, fuck it. I want to lose the game. I just want to straight up lose it. And he muffed what, two punts or was it two different guys? Two different guys, yeah. Two different guys. Well, you know what? It was contagious. So I mean, I mean, that's that's that Michigan culture. Um, and then you had a center who, I mean, sometimes it was the center's fault, sometimes it was Milleros' fault. I mean, some of those snaps were bad. You got catch the damn ball. Um, but this is but, all year. <laughs> that's the yeah. hard part. It's not like a new center or something. And yeah. you know, OU fans, and here's a little teaser for I guess later on. Um, OU fans that are just like assuming that the offensive line will be fine. Like, well, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm excited about Josh Bates, but he didn't play in the Alamo bowl. Some guard from Appalachian state did, and it wasn't that good. So um, that's important is the exchange from the center to the quarterback. And it, boy, did it fuck Alabama up. But I mean, 
I, I will say if I'm a diehard Alabama fan, I am not placing the blame on you know, like snaps or anything like that. I mean, what I would be saying is, you know, that center is fucking up because the Michigan defensive line is just tearing their ass like all day. And you could, you could just tell like the better unit influenced the game for the, for the most part of the Rose bowl, then Alabama's kind of, I guess like, how am I trying to say this? Alabama has a higher end. They have a higher ceiling than Michigan. And they showed that during regulation when it seemed like, wow, they're just going to win the game. Like they, they've got all this momentum. Um, Michigan has kind of outplayed them on both sides of the football, but Alabama here, here comes Alabama to just kind of steal the game. Uh, but Michigan's defensive line just influenced the game just enough that it got them completely off, you know, any type of confidence or any type of rhythm. And when it was nut cutting time, it was, you know, like sometimes Alabama's individual talent would take over, but like for the most part, they just couldn't, they, they couldn't sustain it. And so, you know, OU fans that are hoping for David Stone to be a thing, Nigel Smith, Danny Okoye, like all these guys, I mean, that's the hope is if you get a great defensive line that can disrupt the opposing offense, you've basically, you're basically going to influence the game from there on out. And that's just a play. That's a place where OU hasn't been in so long. We have thrived off of extremely elite quarterback play, extremely elite uh, NFL talent on the offensive side of the ball that it just doesn't matter most of the time. But when it gets to like the playoffs or you're playing like equally talented teams, um, you want that influential uh, defensive line and hopefully we get there, but Michigan certainly had it over Alabama. And that was, I mean, that was kind of weird to see, but they, they proved it. Yeah. And, and, and the further kind of hammer on the point of, of what both of you said, the coaching aspect of this game, is something I'm not for sure. The talking point where a lot of people, in my opinion, were kind of deciding, hey, Alabama, you've got Nick, you're giving Nick Saban a month. You know, it's like if you give Nick Saban a month, he's going to figure something out. And the, the, the issue for Nick Saban was that uh, former offensive guard for University of Oklahoma, uh, more offensive coordinator for Michigan, he had a month as well. <laughs> and that's something, I mean, the game plan they cooked up, him and, uh, and Harbaugh cooked up for the offense to allow them. I don't, I guess McCarthy just, uh, uh, just isn't any good, but uh, they, they do a really good job of putting him in position to succeed and keeping him from being in positions to be, you know, to enforce negative plays or, you know, to have negative plays and then en enables that running game to stay on track. You know, yeah, it feels like if you're playing Michigan, you know what they're going to do. <laughs> like there isn't some big surprise there. Um, and they keep just doing it. And that's something as a college football fan, as a fan, just in general football, I really enjoy watching the Michigan offense operate. Would I love to see it just slightly more efficient? Yeah, sure. But uh, that style where it's like, hey, we're here. We're going to take our shots when we think they're there. Our guys are going to make plays. Uh, but the, the rest of it is going to be a nasty team that moves people around. Because, uh, Brady, you're talking about Michigan maybe out-athleting people. They're only, I believe, at 452% BCR, maybe 54%. I mean, they're on the low, low end of the talent spectrum when it comes to that. And they recruit uh, ranking-wise uh, in the area in which Bob Soups was recruiting in uh, when we all wanted him to, you know, jump off a cliff because he's pulling the, 
you know, 17th, 15th, 13th rated classes. Uh, that's where Alabama's at. I mean, Alabama, I'm sorry, that's where Michigan's at. Michigan is identifying and evaluating talent and then developing talent at a, at a much, much different rate um, than, than basically anybody else uh, in, in the sport uh, as of this point in time. Uh, may, uh, Alan, I want to talk to you or ask you something about that. I mentioned that tease a little bit. It's now three years in a row. He hasn't won a national championship. That's a high bar to make, but he set that bar himself. <laughs> uh, if they're going to keep riding with Milrow, if they're going to keep riding with Tommy Reese, they're going to keep riding with these uh, with what they're going on. Do you think Alabama now is no? I mean, Georgia seems uh, have have ascended anyway, but is Alabama now no longer Alabama capital A, the best team or second best team, and now it's one of the best teams? And uh, how, how do you think this potentially impacts Saban? You know, I, I, my assumption is the twilight of his career. Yeah, I think that looking at it, I mean, for a long time, Alabama was so far ahead of everybody. Um, you know, the gap has has certainly closed. Uh, it's hard to, you know, I mean, it, you know, the kind of the joke is like Kirby Saban took, or pardon, Kirby Smart, pardon me, took Nick Saban's blueprint to Georgia and made it even better um and you know i don't know if that's necessarily the case but you know it's hard to ignore what george has been doing recently but yeah i don't know getting to this point as often as alabama has i mean this is the first time i think say like the under saving well in the college football playoff era that they've ever lost a semifinal game i mean like you know let's not go overboard it, this wasn't one of their best teams um and I also think that they've really suffered in terms of kind of brain drain. I mean, you can't necessarily just expect to have, you know, turn over your offensive coordinator, or your, your play callers as often as they do and not have some type of, you know, uh, I guess kind of transition costs, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, they changed it. They changed both coordinators this year. Even if you say, Oh, well, they're keeping the language of the offense, the same other thing. I mean, they're coming in to, to emphasize different things to add or, you know, enhance or, you know, uh, focus on different areas of, of the team. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing is like, just looking at this year, they didn't really have much of a plan at quarterback. It was really, I mean, it's not that Milro performed poorly this year or anything like that. He was very good, but like he, it was kind of like they never really figured out exactly the best way to maximize what he does well. Um, particularly, and, and, and I'm not sure if Tommy Reese, if you're looking for, you know, an offensive coordinator to do that. I'm not sure Tommy Reese would have been the guy for that, you know? Yeah. And maybe we're missing something here. Cause this is a vintage style Alabama team to a certain degree, you know, it's, that's the uh, caretaker quarterback. You're not expecting him to be like overly uh, explosive. You can even say, Hey, this is freshman year, uh, Jalen hurts type of a type of a team. I have to look back and kind of look at that. But you know, if you squint, it's a quarterback, that's very powerful and aggressive runner who's not the greatest at passing the football uh, and uh, Alabama has been able, was able to overcome that in the past. And then there was a what, span of like five years in which Alabama had decided to adopt offense uh, <laughs> and then exploded. But is that more, 
oh, they went and got all these great players, I mean, all these great play callers, like Sark, Lane, or was it, oh, no, they had multiple first-round wide receivers and multiple first-round quarterbacks. Like, the scheme is, you know, inherent of the players is inherent of the scheme, because you're right. Did they have a plan for Milrow? It doesn't seem that way, but the plan for Bryce Young uh, and Tua was drop back and throw the football to the really fast guys who will be open. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sometimes that can be a little different there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, to me, it feels like this team's composition is slipping and I'm not for sure why it's happening or where it's happening. Cause they're still finishing first or second every year in recruiting. Right. You know, I think that maybe, uh, you know, some of the, you know, it could be coming from stuff like maybe some of the uh, interior defensive linemen that they normally have been getting are going elsewhere. I, but the thing that sticks out to me is just they don't have a lot at receiver or at quarterback. And, you know, I mean, compared to what they've had the last previous, like, say, five years or so, I mean, or even last year, I don't think they didn't really have a lot of great weapons um, on the perimeter at receiver, although they had a, you know, really good college quarterback in Bryce Young. That That's the part that's really kind of just surprising to me because normally you'd think it would be going the other way, right? You'd think that is for as much as they're able to showcase to uh, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, all those guys that, kids even more players they make their pitch even stronger on the recruiting trail and it's really not and instead you know they're they're taking castoffs and or you know uh you know transfers and and that has been kind of a surprise to me or i'm trying to bring up the, the ratings right now to see their uh, level of wide receivers they're grabbing or when you're hitting these guys at such a rate Hey, we don't miss, <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden you're building in that fallacy of, oh, no, these guys aren't the same guys that we have been getting because we're not like super. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, their, their current class, they only have a only the, the their highest rated wide receivers, a, a, a four star at this point in time. Uh, maybe they get something from there. Well, they, uh, the they, I mean, class. it's a different position, but they, they signed a five star quarterback for the. Yes. Right. OK, so I mean this is what happens in recruiting. Like you get high end four stars, you get five stars, but they're not all going to be Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith at receiver. Like you're going to have five stars that are Jags that leave because they're not getting the playing time. They think that they deserve and they end up not really doing anything. Um, you get five stars that are, I mean, good, but they're not, they're not Luther burden. They're not like that level of player that can, influence an entire defensive game plan and stretch the field. So I, I think it's just sometimes you just you you get unfortunate in recruiting. Sometimes you're you're lucky. Alabama for a long time had such a a luxury of talent and competitive depth that they could kind of withstand it, you know, getting guys that or they weren't as good as they were billed because they just had somebody else in tow just ready to take the spot. And they were just able to kind of go from one plot, one roster to the next seamlessly. And I think that they're just kind of seeing now like the, the effects of COVID and the, what that had on development of young players that are now like junior seniors in college um, NIL, the ability for p players to leave the ability for other teams to throw money 
um, at recruiting or in the portal that would have otherwise never sniffed, you know, maybe they get one player of this caliber, but not two or three or four or five, you know, so Alabama, I think it's going to be fine. Like they're like, like I mentioned, they got a five-star quarterback. Now he could be a Jag for all we know. But um, I think the other part of it is as great as Alabama has been, it's been about defensive line. It's been about defense. It's been about um, the offensive line and, and the running game. It's not necessarily a place that quarterbacks have looked at and said, that will set me up for, you know, the NFL. Um, that's the best way. That's the best Avenue for me. They, they had some success with Sark for a little bit. Um, but they also had an entire NFL offensive line and an NFL receiving core NFL running backs. And I know Najee Harris isn't that good, but he's still in the NFL. Um, so it's just, this is what happens. I mean, Oh, you had a great, great, great recruiting class in 2019. And it was all because of three receivers, two, five stars and one high end four star. And none of them did really jack shit. So it happens. Yeah, and looking at just Alabama's top two receivers, just looking from stats, it's a freshman and a sophomore. I mean, it, it I, and they're both four stars, like you said. I mean, they're, they're not like the Uber guys from that perspective. Uh, I don't know. You're used to seeing different guys. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it comes for everybody uh, from that perspective. But Brady, I mean, let's look at this from an Oklahoma perspective. Uh, Switzer obviously has a very a stark uh, ending to his career, and we all can understand that. But when it came to like Bud and, and, and uh, you know Bob Switzer, even you can say that because there was some uh, you know speed had kind of dropped off off the off the off the fastball. Uh, where do you think Saban kind of sits within that you know historical trend of these coaches who are in these places for so long, uh, and they? I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to retire this year or something, but he's just really old. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, I mean. What does he look like when it comes to, uh, you know, in comparison to those guys, just kind of off the top of your head, like when you see, you know, the failings or maybe the, uh, the slide. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's very easy to get it out of the way. He's the best coach in college football history. And by far, like there is a sizable gap between him and then like the, the tier of coaches that are like, you know, Bo Beckler, Bud Wilkinson, um, Bear Bryant, John McKay. Um, I know he's a piece of shit pedophile um enabler but joe paterno won a lot of games and you know he he was in that tier until we found out what where his loyalties lie um but with that said i'm starting to see a little bit of similarity um with saban um with like late stage bob stoops and not because i'm trying to predict that he's going to start cruise controlling and you know being better than most but when Twitter and social media started becoming like a real thing in college sports where it became like, this is how you get your program out there is just being like online 24 seven and being hip and being just kind of like being able to communicate with players and being able to kind of connect with them via social media. Cause this is where a lot of those players, they grew up with their, when they grew up with phones and this is all they know. Bob started to look very out of place as a head coach because he would just blatantly say like, yeah, well, I have uh, I'm not on Twitter. And uh, not a big fan. And it's like that, that's fine. It shouldn't matter this much, but there are some players where this does kind of matter. It does kind of matter that your, your program is constantly winning at something, you know, like you, no one gives you a national championship for getting the number one recruiting class or getting a, you know, consecutive top five recruiting classes. We know the importance of having those recruiting classes, but if that's all you have to show for, then no one's going to give you a trophy. But 
if you are constantly winning at it, like recruiting or development, just whatever it is, um, you're, you're always going to be in the forefront of being in the conversation of get, being able to get top end talent. So like, where am I going with this? NIL, the portal, Saban having the luxury of the culture that he's implemented, him having the luxury of the track record, the development of player after player after player after player for over a decade. I'm starting to, I'm starting to feel like this is a new era that he's probably not long for. And that's, I mean, I guess easy to predict because he, like you mentioned, Peyton, he's old, but it's starting to feel like you can only get away for so long. You can only get away with, um, well, we, we want guys that want to work. Okay. Well, at the end of the day, you also want the best players. And sometimes the best players want the most money via NIL. They want X, Y, and Z. And maybe that doesn't jive with your old school mentality that you've been able to be very successful for. So I, I'm just now starting to feel like Saban is getting old. I think Alabama is still going to be very good for as long as he's there. Like if he, if he wanted to coach for another 10 years, I could still see eight years of like, this is one of the best programs in the country year in and year out. But it's one of the first times where I've really felt his age be like a part of the conversation, if that makes sense. And then slightly breaking news, uh, Woody Washington has announced his return for the 2024 uh, team. Um, so good for that. Secondary gets short, short up, basically returning everyone of note uh, as of this point in time along the defense and which players you would want to come back. Uh, maybe he has uh, physically uh, hit his limit, but still very good defender, very good player in the secondary to come back and kind of help out the uh, Oklahoma defense uh, figure things out in the first year in the SEC. Uh, Brady, I know you potentially kind of had uh, your your fair share of them towards the end there, but I think it's it's nice to have a oh, I, just another like, experience piece. I like Woody. I mean, I don't expect I don't expect greatness from him. You know, like he is what he is. I will say he does have a knack for making some pretty big plays and some big moments, and he's definitely a guy that I can depend on to not get cooked. You know time and time again, at least in the big 12, who knows what happens in the sec, but it's just kind of, I see Woody coming back as a more enhanced version of what we all talk about when, when Dejon Terry and Jacob Lacey announced they're coming back. It's like, okay, this allows like Nigel Smith and, and David Stone and all these young guys uh, more time to develop. So that the burden of like year one in the sec is not thrust upon them to be great. Day one, Woody is good enough to, just keep that starting position year long, but it does allow Brent Venables the time to, or just the luxury of I can still rotating like all these talented guys, safety wise, cornerback wise that OU's had in the last, you know, last season. And even two years ago, it just allows Brent the uh, luxury to continue with that competitive debt. So that's that, I mean, that's it's a big time, uh, big time for this team and going into year one in the sec. All right. Moving on to, the team and the game in which my old, old bones could not stay up to watch entirely. I watched all the highlights, everything this morning instead of uh, working, uh, but I then had to uh, quickly, quickly get into a different uh, gear to get everything done. Um, the Sugar Bowl at Texas, Washington. This is like the new age. This was like the new age version of football. It's like you had the Alabama Michigan game on. It was in black and white and grainy, <laughs> the style of play. And you flipped over here to 4K colors, Nickelodeon's broadcasting with the slime in the end zone and stuff. 
it was uh, modern, quote unquote, modern day offenses and modern day defenses with the, you know, the umbrella coverages and things of that nature. It was much, much into that forward step of the future. Uh, Texas choking uh, down late like the choking dogs they are couldn't convert get down uh, you know it's gifted some great field position uh, gets all get all the way down there to take a couple shots even had the vintage one second left Mac Brown's ghost is hovering around the, <laughs> the sideline <laughs> section sidelines one second um, wasn't able to pull it off and then uh, the Huskies go on uh, now to play Michigan who I will say I had had picked Michigan and Washington both to advance. I have Michigan winning the tent. You know, hey, the pick them was whatever. Some people may not have had those picks, uh, but I did. Uh, but uh, Alan, the Sugar Bowl, what this is a much different game. Now, at the same time, I think you could say well coached to a certain degree. Uh, and then a lot of sloppy play by the players of dropping stuff and fumbling and, you know, uh, uh, muff punts again from that perspective as well. It seemed like two mirror images of a game, just conflicting styles at that point in time. But what, what were your overall thoughts of the Sugar Bowl? Texas was very fortunate to be competitive in the game. In this game yes, yeah. yes, they were. I think um, it, it actually went a lot kind of the way I expected. I mean, the thing, here's the thing. What Penix and three receivers like that can do is, I mean, their their ability, it's indefensible. There's no way to, I mean, there's just, there's nothing you can do about that. The way they spread the field, the way they get them open, but a lot of it is just the way Penix slings it and the way those dudes finish plays, man. I mean, I they're clearly Washington's, you know, game plan here. You know, it's kind of, there was a point, in the uh, fourth quarter where they Washington, I think uh, Texas fumbled deep in Washington territory, Washington recovered it and Washington ran like four plays. They only burned like 60 seconds off the clock. And a lot of people were like, what are they doing? You know, why aren't they running the clock? It's a lot of what you hear from OU fans the past couple of years. And, you know, like I, I'm, I was looking at it and thinking, okay, you know, I think that they were up two scores at the time. And I think DeBoer was basically just saying, well, if I keep trying to, to score here, uh, you know, basically Texas is going to have to, you know, I just need to score three more points to win this game. And Texas is going to, you know, Texas has to score 14. Like, I, I mean, they were just, it was completely built around. We are just going to keep throwing the ball and keep trying to knock you out. Um, it, I don't know if it was smart. There was a lot of stuff they did late in the game that was very not smart. <laughs> but um, I mean, it was it was just something to watch. I mean, clearly they went in with the game plan like this is what we're going to do, and we don't think Texas can stop it. It reminded me a lot of like I can't believe I'm saying this like the 2019 LSU team in the sense that they had three NFL caliber wideouts. They did a lot to spread it out. You know, this wasn't a team that did. I mean, they they ran the ball fine, but. I mean, it was just one of those things where they, there were they had an advantage. It felt like in just about every matchup on the perimeter, um, and you know Texas um, for as well as it, it stopped the run this year. You know, I don't think there were as many great throwing teams that they faced this season. I mean, OU being one exception, and we saw how that turned out for them. Um, they couldn't rush the passer. They, I mean, the few times they put any kind of heat on Penix, he just sidestepped it. 
Um, and I mean, in coverage, they were just completely outclassed. Now, a lot of that's going to happen to a lot of teams facing those Washington receivers, but it just, um, you know, and, and lastly, I mean, yours is fine. He's, he does a lot of things well, but man, like he's just in those moments on those stages, man, he's not it. It's just not, it's just not there. Yeah. You mentioned about the, I think, I think a lot was made out of Texas and their defensive line about them being SEC ready and how this is going to be a line in, in reality. And I, I get why people would say that it was two defensive tackles. That is who mm-hmm. the great players and Washington said, cool. We'll just never involve them in the game period. <laughs> and right. You know, I mean, they tested them one time in that fourth down, which was a bit of a dumb call. Cause you had, I don't know, you had the outside open all day long, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I get why, you, you know, shortest distance, so on and so forth. And you want to try to set a tone, but it, it, and that's something, you know, uh, Brady was mentioning earlier about the uh, Oklahoma, this hypothetical Oklahoma fans, Texas had the defensive interior that we want to have <laughs> out of Jaden Jackson and David Stone, stuff like that. But the issue is you got to have the defensive ends as well. And then you've got to have the off ball linebackers as well, <laughs> so on and so forth. And Washington was like, cool, we just will never run towards uh, sweat, period. Which, why? Why would we ever do that? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We'll just let our uh, NFL wide receivers catch footballs from our NFL uh, quarterback. Good luck. Uh, That was something that was just wild to see. I mean, 29-38 for 430 yards and two touchdowns. And the way he throws the football, it's like he's just literally a wrist any arm angle, any way whatsoever, uh, it, it seemed, I don't know, it, they, they could, he couldn't miss and they couldn't drop it. Even the ones where it got tipped and they still were able to identify it and pull it down for a touchdown. Once stuff like that happens, you just got to say, well, this, this is their game. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, I mean, like, and the thing is, that, like, these dudes weren't completing, like, circus catches, but Penix was putting it the only place that he could time after time after time and they were they there was no let up from them i mean there was one fade route on in in the on i think on their final drive where you know it was the kind of one of those situations where everybody's like why isn't why isn't washington running the ball and i'm like that's why <laughs> you know i mean because they have dudes like mcmillan and uh azunde that can do that i mean it's just it was it was it was uh pretty spectacular yeah, that's it. It's just modern football, where I mean, so much of that stuff was going to a uh, uh, Polk and Duze just on little wide receiver screens and things like that. Where it's like we just this is now the running game. You know, it, it very much so. I don't know. They just out schemed Texas and, and, and Wachowski from that perspective on on, on a pretty high level. Uh, I don't know to be perfectly honest with you. And now it does seem like maybe those rumors are true, and that Texas, I'm sorry, Washington downturn was just Penix dealing with shoulder injury uh, and now he's healthy. Uh, and now the team's back to looking like they did in, in the first part of the season. But Brady, horns down, just like Ethan Downs in the middle of the field and getting uh, some Texas fan very, very upset <laughs> in the in the stands. Uh, Texas loses, goes down. They do not get the Lord over the University of Oklahoma saying they won a playoff game before uh, Oklahoma did. Uh, the Huskies, the good boys, the good puppers, uh, they, they they take one down for the University of Oklahoma. Very helpful, very thankful. But what did you think about the game, uh, the Sugar Bowl uh, between Texas and Washington? Yeah, I mean, Al- Allen's right. Like, it's weird. 
Texas was super lucky to be in the position that they were in. They were super lucky to be competitive in that game. Um, but having said that, like the biggest mismatch was Texas's offensive line against their defensive line or Washington's defensive line. Cause anytime it seemed like Texas wanted to run the football, they were getting like yard, like just chunk yards. Um, the problem was they just had a, they, they kind of had, they probably watched the Alamo bowl a little too much and laughed at, laughed at it and thought, Oh, I, I knew that loss to OU was a fluke as is not indicative of our team. Ha ha ha. Cause they started fumbling like left and right for no fucking reason. Just like we were. So, um, it's just, it was really, I mean, it was really cool to watch Penix throw the football um, at on a stage like that, you know, national championship playoff game. I think I've seen, <clears throat> unfortunately, I've only seen a few quarterbacks make throws like Penix did um, in the game last night, a few other times, and they were both against OU and it was <laughs> Matt Leiner, USC, where he was just, I mean, some of those touchdown, like if you want to, for whatever reason, if you want to torture yourself and watch like the orange bowl highlights against USC go watch and see like how well covered some of those USC receivers were. And just like the fucking dart liner, like just drops um, for some of their receivers to make the catch. Um, and the same thing happened in the 28, the 2019 orange bowl or the 2018 orange bowl with uh Tua, like just surprisingly good coverage by like Trey Brown or Trey Norwood or whoever, you know, was on that defense. And two is just putting it right where it needs to be. And I wish he did that a lot with the Dolphins when we play a good team, but you know, like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, so watching Penix throw the football was, was so awesome. That receiving core was just, it was weird. Like Alan, you mentioned like they outclassed Texas secondary, but I really never felt like this was a mismatch. It was just that unit of receivers are so good. It just does not matter. Like Texas can't do anything about it. And yeah, I mean, it goes to show you like Texas is back relative to where they've been. Um, they got to the stage and they deserve like, I mean, they had a good season. Like, I'm not going to sit mm -hmm. here and say oh, they yeah. suck or they choked or they're frauds. Like, no, well, I they, thought they, they choked. Well, they, I mean, they, they <laughs> choked, but I mean, they only choked because I mean, Washington tried to choke it away as well. Like, yeah, that, that player getting hurt on that final drive and then them having to punt with like 45 seconds left was so it was so weird how that i know it's then a running role. into the returner yes it was just who was going to out choke the other kind of occurred but um no like they choked in terms of the opportunity that washington gave them in that moment but i mean like alan and i have been talking about like it washington was i mean they played like the by far better team so i mean texas shouldn't have been in a position to choke anyway but they had a good season they're a good team but they're just not there yet. I mean, OU, good team. They beat Texas, but we know we're not there yet, but we didn't have the luxury of really like throwing our expectations way ahead of where they should be. I'm not saying that, that that's what Texas is, but I, I will say it's interesting to me that after being gone for so long, like they have been as a program, this is the year that they finally put it together and you see what they have. They've got two good defensive linemen. They have... Like one guy, like at safety, that I kind of like. They have um, two good receivers. One of them is just basically a one-trick pony who, in their biggest game, seems to always disappear. I'm talking about Xavier Worthy. Um, they've got a like the Whittington guy. He's been there for 12 years. He's gonna he's done now. But like that's a you know they're kind of their Drake Stoops type player. 
Um, Quinn Ewers is a fine quarterback. Um, he can make a lot of great throws, and when he's in rhythm, he's pretty damn good. Uh, but I mean, Texas as a program, they're they're not they're not where they should be in any other regular season where the playoff like in a, like you have your four teams in the playoffs because Texas is just kind of a slightly better version of the OU team we just watched play this entire year where they have a year extra in their system. They have higher end talent sprinkled across their roster and then boom, you know? So the good thing for OU, at least on paper is all of our interior defensive linemen and the edge rushers are going to be relatively on the same developmental path. Texas is losing their defensive linemen, but they're gaining like some badass edge rushers. And I think they've got one interior defensive lineman. So they're starting from square one themselves, just like we are. So, I mean, it'll be interesting, but I will say like, I don't, I mean, of course I don't root. I don't sit around and just root for Texas to lose. In fact, I kind of want them to win because it's better to beat them when they're good. Like we just did. Uh, but I, I did find myself, I did kind of embarrass myself how almost angry I was going to get had Texas finished that off. Like there, that's not fair. It's just not fair that yeah. we got, we got Clemson, we got Georgia, we got Alabama, fuck this. And and they get Washington who can't play defense that well for an entire game. And they're just like, no, take it. We don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was the part. A couple of things there that Brady brought up that I think were really good is, you know, like, that was the hard part as an OU fan watching there at the end was thinking, my God, like Washington is just trying to hand this game over. I mean, there were even decisions like Washington, like they threw on the next to last series. They're down in the, near the goal line. They just needed a, a field goal to go up two scores. They threw on third down instead of running and forcing uh you know, uh, Texas to use its last time out that saves like 40 seconds off the clock that Texas can't. I mean, it was just, it was just little thing that, that part of it. I mean, I get the idea of, you know, going for the knockout punch, but man, you like just, you know, make put Texas in a hole there. They just, they just refuse to do it. Um, but the other thing about it too, is, you know, the first thing they talked about early in the game when Texas had the ball is that Steve Sarkeesian scripts 40 offensive plays for regular situations. And like Sark really is a fantastic play caller. And I mean, he's unbelievable up, up there on the whiteboard, like designing stuff, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, they could have just pounded, they could have pounded Washington all night and they just refused. Like they, they get cute. They get away from it. Like, it was just one of those things where I kept watching the thinking like they're making this too hard, hard on themselves than it has to be. But you know, the, the last, but the last thing here is it happens so often with Texas where everything gets inflated, you know, a couple, a couple degrees. Like let's say a guy's a B and he gets treated like an A minus, you know what I mean? Or, or something like that. I felt like that is what I was seeing with yours all year that, so badly media and pundits wanted him to be a player that he just wasn't. And it was painfully obvious last night, man. He just, he's a lot. You can see it. Okay. You know, like every other ball or something like that. I mean, he, a lot of it looks good, but man, he is just not that dude. I mean, NFL Twitter 
was saying first round draft pick for him, you know, in the preseason and stuff before the season went on. I'm going to break in really fast. Uh, Texas A&M is hiring Alabama's Holman Wiggins, who is its uh, longtime wide receivers coach who coached and recruited Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and Jalen Waddle. So maybe uh, that continuing brain drain and wide receiver, a dearth of wide receiver talent may continue for Alabama potentially uh, if that's heading towards uh, A&M and the pretty decent staff that Elko is creating over there in College Station. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, the Texas thing is weird. I mean, this to me seems to be the peak for, of that team for a little while. They do lose a lot of players. Um, and then, uh, you know, Ewers is coming back. So, like, I, I don't know. Alan, I guess I want to toss it right back to you, and I apologize. But so Oklahoma was, in this, was basically in a very similar situation. You had Dylan Gabriel, and then you had the future. <laughs> if you're Texas, you got Quinn, and then you've got the future. One team decided, love you, Dylan Gabriel, be with God, do whatever you're going to do. We've got the future. He's ready. We're going to go. We're going to rock and roll with them. And you have another team is saying, come on back. <laughs> we'll figure something out. And it just seems like, as Brent Venable saying, you recruit your own problems. Like, I do not see this being very beneficial, potentially, for either of these players for them both to be on the roster next year, uh, unless Arch is going to sit another full year. Uh, do you think there's anything to that narrative I just painted there of uh, how both these programs are handling a, a fairly similar situation? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe like Arch just isn't, isn't, uh, you know, that great. I mean, like, I, I feel like that's, that's the message that, that you're sending there. Right. You know, I mean, because I th I think that you know the the idea that like oh you pushed out Gabriel I guess there's something to that right but I mean if they were that concerned about Arnold they would have ponied up to you know to keep Gabriel Gabriel around for another year um, I you know I I think that it's it, it it's probably just a sign that like Arch is not you know not the next Aaron Rodgers or whatever. And maybe it's just the idea of pushing Dylan Gabriel out is maybe overplayed on my behalf. I apologize about that uh, if he's personally listening. Uh, maybe more of they felt content with the career he had at the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Brady, what do you think about that, you know, hypothetical narrative of one, one program potentially having its future a little more figured out? <laughs> they know the guy they're going to roll with versus another one who had – if I am not mistaken, the number one rated recruit of all time, <laughs> uh, Arch Manning, who potentially may not be ready to play, uh, was <laughs> wild to me, uh, playing like, what, 2 way football in Louisiana uh, <laughs> or wherever it was. Um, <laughs> hate away, Brady. <laughs> give, me some, give me some of the good takes. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's fucking stupid. I mean, it's just absolutely stupid. Arch Manning could very well be a good player. And if he ever gets his opportunity and he lights the world on, on fire that I'm going to eat so much fucking crow, I'm going to be so afraid, but I just don't see it. I, I, I didn't see it with the, you know, what I watched of him in high school. I don't see it in his body language. I don't see it in just the few times he's been on the field for Texas. I just don't see any of that shit. Um, but I mean, having said that Texas did what they had to do. They, they took, 
you know, they got the the best quarter, quote unquote, the best quarterback in the country coming out that year, one of the best player in the country coming out that year to solidify their future uh, and scare away potentially like the better, <laughs> the better prospect in Malik Murphy. So thank you, Texas, for doing what you, what you do. And that is waste really good talent. But I mean, OU in Texas, even Texas, um, OU in Texas are the type of programs that, you know, they definitely want to go all in when they have the ability to do so um, with a particular roster, but they also are always more than mindful of the future of how, how do we continue this success? How do we sustain the program and not just be like, oh, we're all Miss. Jackson Dart, who's okay, is coming back. Let's throw all this money you know, at all these players and hope that some of it works so that we can win eight, nine, ten games again. And maybe Lane Kiffin gets a better job or you know, maybe something better than that happens, but probably not. So, I mean, OU and Texas are not programs like that. So, I mean, Texas, at least on paper, has their future solidified. But, yeah, if um, in a weird scenario where Dylan Gabriel comes back, and again, I'm a gigantic Dylan Gabriel fan, not next year when he plays for Oregon, because fuck them, but, you know, his time at OU. Um, but in a weird scenario where Dylan Gabriel announces he's coming back and Jackson Arnold is just kind of like, cool about it and what we had seen of him like on the field is you know is not very good then i mean i I would just kind of assume like is jackson really is he ever going to be ready is he good um but who knows i don't know the situation in austin as much as i know the situation in norman so maybe i'm just kind of talking out of my ass but um it seemed like the program with a solid future at quarterback is moving forward and Texas is just like Quinn is good enough. Clearly he is, he is good enough. We'll see if that good enough can get us back to where they were, you know, just last night in the sugar bowl. It, it does make me wonder if, um, Sark is potentially committing the same sin that, um, Tom Herman made with Sam, uh, being like, this guy's good enough. Instead of saying, find someone who's better. <laughs> you know, as a head coach, it's your job to continually upgrade every position on the football team if you can um, and not stand pat just because you feel like you're content at a certain spot. And, you know, uh, I think Tom could have could have potentially gone out and tried to do better at the quarterback position. Uh, Sark, I mean, I don't know if you're if you're recruiting the number one greatest recruit of all time, you're obviously thinking you're trying to over recruit your current starter. I don't know. It feels like it's, I don't know. It feels like something's uh, brewing down in the, uh, uh, on the 40 acres down there in Austin. So, so here's, here's an interesting thing that I was thinking about actually late, you know, kind of late in that game. Like, you know, I was watching, as I'm watching it, I don't want Texas to win. I don't like Texas. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm jealous because I felt like the situation was one that OU hadn't seen, just like Brady said. But then I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, if Texas were to like actually win a national championship this year or, you know, win this game, I mean, like, I kind of wonder if that would be better, would have been better for OU in the sense that, like, you, like, when this rivalry tends to feed, you know, t- tends to work best when the two teams are at their both, you know, hitting on all cylinders. I mean, you know, a Texas national championship here would have been, I'm not going to say counterfeit. It just would have, wouldn't have been 
like a huge deal, but you never know. It may, it may, it's the kind of thing where it might have like, you know, woken everybody to owe you up and been like, you know, let's, you know, we need to, we need to get our shit together. And not that it's not there, but I mean, I'm talking about like step it up even another notch. Um, you know, but instead now it's more just kind of like, you know, I mean, what is this? What is, where are, where are the two programs right now? Like, yeah. Okay, great. Texas won the big 12 this year. They also lost OU. Uh, they saw how that it's not easy to just go into a playoff and win a game. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think that like with Texas was like exposed last night or anything like that. I, it's, but, and I, but it, it was also was kind of a, I don't know, to me, it was a bit of a wake up call just in terms of them thinking they're back when they're really not. And I kind of wish, and, and I think that everybody, I think that everybody noticed or maybe knows that now. I kind of, I just kind of wish there was a little bit more. They could maybe a, a little bit more heat would have helped OU, you know? Yeah, I, I think maybe to say it in a different way, now Oklahoma can say, keep the faith, put one step in front of another. We're going to get there. You know, it's a long journey. Embrace the grind, you know, do that. Uh, if Texas had won a playoff game, um, Missouri wouldn't uh, wouldn't be able to outspend Oklahoma for uh, guards and defensive ends and wide receivers. <laughs> you know, uh, things would have changed from that perspective. Uh, I, my assumption would be fairly quickly uh, and it, to get it that part figured to. out. And it doesn't need to right now. Like if if Brent falls on his face in year one, even in year one of the SEC, I think that that's when some alarm bells alarm bells can start going off because it's like, well, how do we fall on our face? Do we fall on our face because okay, it's clear that the offensive line is an issue or it's clear that these injuries influence the team. But if if we just fall on our face because, oh my God, we are so far from, you know, the second tier of this conference, that's when you can start, oh my God, we need to start playing the game a little bit quicker than I think we wanted to, where we build up the roster, we build back the program's culture to the point where, Okay, once every other year, if there's like really a badass guy that we we identify and want, we'll throw the bag at him. But we're not just going to willy nilly just spend money just to like get retweets or get like Hayes Fawcett to make a graphic for us, you know, some shit like that. So um, that's that's kind of the hope, at least that I have. Like there's really no there's no reason to kind of try to hit the you know, hit the pedal and just go faster than what the trajectory that we're currently on. But, you know, certainly Texas winning a playoff game or potentially a national title would have, I mean, that would have just, that would have stung because even, even if you, you could still say like, well, we beat them. So we're not that far ahead. You know, we're not that far behind them. It's like, well, I mean, you did, but clearly they went off to do much greater things, which does make that win look kind of flukish considering what we ended up doing. Yeah. One last question. One last one last question. So Brent Brent Venables, I believe, was last week said something to the effect of, you know, Arizona's as good as any team we played this year. It sounded ridiculous. Is there some validity to it? Uh I, I think seeing mm, no. Well they're oh yeah, they're, I guess of the teams they played, I guess I could say yes. I think Arizona if. had had a quarterback and wide receiver core that's better than Texas. I, I will just say that. Uh, mm-hmm. And they had a running a back. They had a running attack that was somewhat 
had the resemblance of Texas from that perspective. Uh, if Oklahoma had its regular starting quarterback uh, and didn't commit six turnovers, they probably blow Arizona out of the water, uh, but that, that's yeah. not what happened. Uh, but I guess, yeah, I guess if you kind of remove the, uh, you know, the, uh, the logos on the helmet and stuff, you could, yeah, I, 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 mean, I guess I could see that. Arizona, I mean, yeah. My, my take is like field, Arizona, I think, I think my take is like Arizona was playing really well yes, in the back yes. half of the season. I feel like they, they were getting more out of what they had probably than sure. um, than any other team that OU faced. I don't think they were as good as Texas, but uh, just an interesting thought. I don't know. Brady, you, what do you think? Uh, I, I don't know. It's really hard for me to try to place where Arizona is because, I mean, I think clearly they're one of the – I mean, they're better than Kansas. They're better than OSU, but, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If OU was just – if if multiple player and I know technically multiple players fumbled because Jackson or how to fumble, but if multiple players had, they absolutely need a miracle to happen, and that miracle being a player just randomly fumbles, you know, like in the red zone, and it needs to happen right now. If it happened across the board, then I would be like, okay, I don't have the same. I I don't have the same kind of feeling about this team. Now, like in the way that it happened, because Arizona, once like once Jackson Arnold settled down, once OU kind of got the understanding of okay, this is how they're going to attack us. This is how we can attack them. This is how we can combat their receivers um, just long enough, or at least get pressure on the quarterback to where that the receivers are just out of the equation. Um, the game was like thoroughly controlled by OU. The problem was we just had miracle turnovers that are hard to account for and they were all because one guy just had an absolutely awful day on an exclamation point of his season. So um, I get what Brent's saying. I think they're, I think when they're rolling on all cylinders, they have the talent, uh, but they, they just kind of seemed like a much lesser version of Washington, right? Like a, a good quarterback who can make the throws um, a really good receiving core, but really their receiving core is mainly just the McMillan guy uh, with Arizona and the, what was it Crowney or Cowley or whatever the the other guy? He Cowling, I think. Yeah, he I could be wrong about this. Was he was he always awesome or was he just kind of like the random guy who benefited from OU? Like we gotta really do no, something he, about this he's, other guy. No, he's he's good. He's good. Okay. I think Rob okay. Rob Rob brought him up, right, Peyton? Cowling. Yes. I think. Yes, yeah. very much so. Okay. So, as a guy to check out and keep an eye on. They just seem like a lesser version of Washington, which is what you want out of your, you know, third or fourth best team in your conference, where it's just like, yeah, it's just a lesser version of the best team. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, um, oh, you had their chances. I, who cares? <laughs> All right. So, uh, I guess the last part of it before we move on into the sunset is University of Oklahoma is not in a playoff team. That's building, obviously, wanting to be a playoff team. There's a very good there's a likelihood of the 12 team playoff uh oklahoma will basically be a forever mainstay in the playoffs uh, potentially at at 12 uh moving forward but this is the end of the four game um 14 playoffs uh, this is the first time one of the quote-unquote super teams has ever been beaten in the uh, first round by a non-super team i should say that so you had a 90 percent bcr guy a team in alabama being beaten by michigan who was a 50 uh, percent bcr team 
And then if Washington were to win the national championship, it'd be the least quote unquote talented uh, team since Auburn or potentially since uh, Oklahoma in 2000 uh, to kind of pull this off. Um, that does finally seem something about the, uh, it seems like maybe the parody or the democratization of the sport is somewhat trickling down um, just in time for them to make it even harder for a team like Michigan or Washington to go through an Alabama and a Georgia and an Ohio State or something of that nature to get it done. Uh, they don't have to slay three dragons instead of two or, or, or one uh, as a case of both the current teams in the playoffs. Oklahoma is needing to build its roster out to get to this point in time so that is somewhat bulletproof and can withstand some of these tests that are coming at it. Alan, where do you think Oklahoma is in context of the four teams that are in the playoff? Do you think Oklahoma's pretty far behind, close, or even? And if they need to improve, what area and what position do you think is the most uh, uh, area of concern? Wow. Yeah, no, they're, I mean, they're behind. Um, I don't think, I don't, I, I, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because what we're looking at here is really like one team has just a a dynamic quarter. One one team does something better than everyone else. That's Michigan or probably Washington throws the ball better than everybody else. And they've got a veteran quarterback. They've got a lot of veterans on the team. So like, I kind of felt coming into this, like, Texas was the fourth best team, maybe Alabama. I mean, I don't know. I feel like OU's like a half step behind Texas, but, you know, they're just not up there with, uh, you know, where Michigan is right now in, in terms of what Michigan, Michigan is kind of set it up right now where they're, they're really leveraging a lot of experience, um, you know, older, older guys, but they, they've got kind of a system down. They're doing, what they've been doing, they're retaining players really well, all that. So, um, you know, OU's not quite there. I feel like, and I, if you're asking me where they got to prove, I, I feel like the difference between OU and those groups right now is, uh, well, it, it's the trenches. Like, I, I mean, we bring it up all the time, but it really is true. Like, OU doesn't have a defensive line or an offensive line like what Michigan has. Um, I think they're moving in a the, the trajectory there is very positive. Um, but until they're able to kind of stack, you know, three or four classes of kids in uh, along both lines, uh, they're really, you know, they're, they're still just going to be, you know, like, you know, a step and a half behind in Alabama or Michigan or even a Georgia, maybe two steps behind Georgia. Honestly, I, I still feel like Georgia is probably the best team in the country this year. Yeah, it, it sounds like maybe someone uh, may have an interesting uh, Patreon article over on patreon.com slash through the keyhole later this week about the offensive line from the University of Oklahoma. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, Brady, Oklahoma, really far behind, behind or even, and in what area or areas do OU need to shore up to in order to uh, to get to that spot? Well, I think I think we're I think we're a I don't want to say we're far, far behind because clearly we beat Texas. It just really depends on where you think Texas is because I think most OU fans will acknowledge the fact that, yeah, this is interesting that this is the year that they're back because it's a, with all due respect to Michigan, Alabama, you know, Washington, um, this is 
this pales in comparison to some other previous uh, playoff pools in recent years by far. And it's just fortunate that Texas put it together this year. So credit on them. But um, I think we're, we're a sizable distance away from where we want to be. And it's just because we are going to put so much emphasis on 18 year olds to be great next year. And a lot of that's going to be the pressure of being in the sec and wanting to put our best, best foot forward. A lot of that's going to be on, we have a recent history of not having that talent on the interior defensive line or just on defense across the board. So we really, really, really just want to see it happen so that we can have the hope for the future. And then you also have Jackson Arnold, who appears to be, you know, the like not just the quarterback of the future, but a quarterback that you could roll into the SEC with and say, yeah, we've got one of, if not the best, the most talented quarterback in this conference, even if our team doesn't really match up with that. You don't want to waste that opportunity. So um, OU is going to, I mean, they're going to continue on with, with Brent. I think we've seen enough to assume that development's going to take place in a positive way across the board. Uh, the only thing that really gives me pause, like in terms of like the short term, is just the offensive line. Not, I'm not going to sit here and say Bill Beanbow needs to be fired, but the recruiting is what the recruiting is. He missed on his biggest target. I think his did he miss on his two biggest targets, or is Eddie Pierre Luis like probably the is it, is he that I think good? Bricks, I think Bricks would. I would call Bricks the number one target in this. Okay, yes. I mean, yeah. so and and that was a miss for sure. EPL yeah. was a nice backup. Yeah. Um. But you're going to rely on transfers. You're going to rely on new guys. And I just I don't know how you can just rely on track record with Beedenbow. Um, that's great. You know, it's great that we have one of the best, if not the best offensive line coach. I just don't know how that necessarily means that Josh Bates or um, Eddie Pierre-Louis as a freshman or the Michigan State transfer or another transfer, the North the North Texas guy. I don't know how that just means that, oh yeah, by game four or five, they're going to be one of the best offensive lines in the SEC. Because that's what's been happening over the last few years is like, oh yeah, by game four or five, OU has the best or the second best big um offensive line in the big 12. I don't see how you can just assume that that will happen. If, you know, a lot of the same problems occur that we saw in the Alamo bowl, it doesn't matter how great Jackson Arnold is or how great our receiving core is. He won't have any time to throw. He won't have any time to get comfortable and we're going to the pass rush league. So I think our, our weakness, at least going into the season is compounded by the fact that of, of our competition, like just exactly where our competition is in the SEC. Now, I will say we all question the receiving core going into this year, even though we also were like, yeah, but we're OU. We usually find a guy or two. And I know Bill Beanbo will get four or five guys going at a high level. I don't know when next year, but hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but it's going to be kind of that similar conversation where that offensive line is unproven to say and to say it best and i think that that spells potential doom every once in a while next season so that would then kind of place us that sizable distance away from where we want to be but we're going to be relying on a lot of young players we relied a lot of we relied a lot on a lot of the young players this past season and it worked out so maybe that will continue for all i know all right i'm going to potentially uh, uh uh set off some alarms uh oklahoma is 
far behind. Uh, on an individual game basis, I think Oklahoma could beat Washington and, you know, uh, Texas, obviously they did. Uh, you know, on one individual game, Oklahoma's talented enough to beat anybody. Oklahoma having a quote-unquote bulletproof roster to withstand a 12-team playoff, I think Oklahoma is far behind at this point in time. That's just me. Uh, uh, you know, anyone can get hot. You know, Washington's kind of disproving that, but I just don't think Oklahoma can say, oh, yeah, Jackson Arnold's going to be a sixth-year starting quarterback <laughs> or, or, or five years, or how, I think it's six, uh, at four season-ending season uh, season injuries at Indiana, two years at Washington, uh, three NFL wide receivers, and they're just going to throw and no one's going to be able to stop them. Like that, that's a not viable plan <laughs> to have at a, at a program. Washington will be a crater next year compared to this year. They're going to have a TCU type of tumble, in my opinion. Uh, Michigan as well, uh, because – you know, Harbaugh's on record saying he believes they're going to have 20 draft picks off this team. You don't recover <laughs> from that, even if you are the world's best developers and identifiers of talent. So that being said, we've all said it. I want to, I really want to look at all my OU fans and set you down and say, you saw Washington do it. And you're thinking, Jackson Arnold can throw footballs like that. I've seen him. He's great. He can launch him over the, you know, and then we've got Petaway coming. We've got all, with Ethan Burks. We've got all these guys coming back. Nick Anderson. Andre Anthony is going to be healthy. We're just going to throw it all over the yard. No one's going to be able to keep up. Washington won because their offensive line was good, and Texas couldn't yeah. do a damn thing <laughs> to Penix to speed him up. And then Washington also won because their defensive line was good and fucked Quinn <laughs> and couldn't yeah. get him doing anything. And if you watch, and that's what's weird, these two games were stylistically on opposite sides of the coin, but they came down to the exact same thing. Washington had the better offensive line and better defensive line that day. Michigan had the better offensive line and better defensive line that day. And that was all that really mattered. At, it, when the game, when these two, everyone, they were, Texas and Washington were equal. Michigan and Alabama were equal. It came down to the margins. And that margin was widened for Michigan and Washington because offensive line and defensive line. That's it. That's all. That's the only thing you can go for it from, from that perspective. Uh, Oklahoma has wide receivers. They've got, I've, there's rumored they have running backs. There's rumored they have tight ends. Um, they've got a quarterback. But until the offensive line situation is addressed in a much deeper level, an investment where you're not getting, I know it's all three of us have kind of hand waved it as like it's a fluke. What are you going to do? Until lesser teams can't just walk in and grab your starting guard <laughs> or, or you can't lose you know, a number one overall defensive end in which you were leading for 99% of the time in the recruiting. And it took a, a state to change their law to potentially get him to sign for Missouri. You've got to be able to hold on to those guys and you got to be bulletproof in that situation in order to build the roster to where you can withstand. Because the, the solution isn't to have an answer. Michigan had answers to Alabama. Washington had answers to Texas. Right now, what Oklahoma could do is get hot and have an answer. And that can only take you until you're not hot anymore. Or, you know, you don't have a counterpunch. I want Oklahoma to be somewhat undeniable. Um, I, I would want them to be able to, I want you to be able to say Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma. Those are the favorites, you know, and they're favorites because they are just favorites. There's nothing you really can say that. 
for Oklahoma to be considered, you have to think pros and cons and plus and minuses. And if this guy turns out well, Oklahoma needs to take a, a pretty substantial step, in my opinion. Because the thing is, too, I think Texas is technically behind <laughs> from a normal playoff team. They shouldn't have been in that situation. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah. So if they're behind, that means Oklahoma's behind them, which means they're behind behind. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective. Um, but hopefully that didn't trigger or make people too angry at me. Uh, I, I'm sorry for that. But that's just where I think him right now. As Alan said, Oklahoma needs to stack classes. And if you look at the roster composition and the recruiting composition of these classes, while they may not be top five classes every single time, they are stressing defensive line and offensive line. You get that part figured out, all of a sudden your wide receiver is going to be more open. It's not because they're even more talented. It's because the quarterback has more time. And all of a sudden yeah. you can cover everyone, not because your corners are better, because the defensive and defensive tackles are making sacks. It's Football can be very easy sometimes. Uh, well, just and to, that's just an easy truth of the game. Well, just to hammer it home, I mean, you said it on the last pod on the, the, no, the no cap recap after the Alamo Bowl, Peyton, where um, OU is basically paying for those porous recruiting classes from 2020 and 2021, you know, right now. And so when people were like, stat classes, well, we just had two, but, you know, three, you know, consecutive top 10 classes under Brent Venables in his first three recruiting cycles. How come we're not seeing that immediate impact? Well, we're, we're now paying for the sins of 2020 and 2021, and this is 23, and we're going into 24. So um, if everything clicks, if, if like recruiting stopped right now and, and college football is going to end, well, in 25, like we're going to be our fully realized selves, like if everything works out and David Stone and all these guys are as good as their recruiting rankings suggest that they are, but that's not the way it's going to work. Recruiting will continue. Football will continue. So in the event that maybe a Nigel Smith or a Danny Okoye is kind of a bust or um, any one of these receivers, Zion um, Ragens is a bust. Well, you've supplemented that with next year's recruiting class or the previous year's recruiting class so that their loss or their lack of big time ability isn't felt as much as, it it is currently on this roster and just in not everywhere, but just in, you know, some pretty key spots, at least moving forward. Yeah, like David Stone and Jaden Jackson are being painted as the saviors of the program. <laughs> you know, and they are 18 years old. Like we don't know. Yeah, what if they're just 80% of what a five star number one overall defensive tackle is? That's great. Hell, Devin Mitchell's 17, right? Yeah. God, that's I, I mean, dude looks like a grown. Grown man, grown just seventeen, toss, <laughs> just tossing, tossing other eighteen-year-olds asunder. But seventeen seven, in dog years, maybe. That's, I mean, it, it's a different. I mean, everybody knows. I mean, Teddy Lehman said something really interesting, and it was just a throwaway line. But he was, he was, he just kind of said, college football and high school football might as might as well be different sports. And I just knew goes into that statement. It's just the speed. It's like it's not. It's has really nothing to do with the physicality. That's kind of inherent, but just the mental aspect. And we're going into the SEC with all that pressure, with all that competition, and we're asking 18-year-olds to play a gigantic role. Like, it, there might be some good, and there might be some truly, like, special freaks in this class that are Tommy Harris or Adrian Peterson day one, but to expect that is throwing your expectations way out of loop. And if you want to have those expectations, fine, but you're just going to do yourself a disservice. Until spring ball happens and fall camp happens, and we all get right back into it. <laughs> Hells yeah, baby. 
Uh, I want to say thank you to Vanessa House for being our title sponsor. You guys go check them out when you have a chance uh, in Oklahoma City. Uh, also, thank you uh, to Matt, who couldn't make it because he has an actual day job or a night job, I guess. Uh, is how you'd say that. Uh, and then for myself, for uh, Brady Allen, and for all of our Patreons over on patreon.com slash through the keyhole, uh, we have a lot of really, really interesting stuff we're trying to push out this year to try to, I guess, professionalize this, uh, this uh, fly-by-night operation. But uh, for everybody... Thank you so much. And Boomer! Boomer.